Uh, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at All Nations. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are going to continue our series, um, our Sunday series in uh, the book of Genesis. Um, for the past several weeks, we've been focusing on um, one of the most important characters in all scripture, uh, but actually in all of history. Uh, the three major monotheistic religions, uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, claim this individual to be their father of faith, and that is Abraham. Uh, we've been focusing and, and looking into Abraham's life, and it's so important for us to know who he is because God's plan for redeeming uh, fallen humanity starts with this one man in his family, that he will bless him to be a blessing. And ultimately, we know that Scripture tells us that Jesus comes from this family. And, and so it's, it's so important for us to know who he is and his life. And I think he has an appropriate title, uh, the father of faith. Uh, he demonstrates tremendous faith. When God gives him so little to go on, Abraham believes. Uh, he leaves everything, his comforts, his familiarity, uh, his well-being, uh, his family, to go to an undisclosed location that God tells him, to go, uh, tells him to go to. Not only that, he says he's going to make him a great nation. But the problem is, in Genesis 11, we already know that there is a problem to this promise. Uh, Sarai, his wife, is barren, uh, meaning she's incapable of having children and to be a great nation means you would have children. Uh, but yet, Abram believes in God's promise, and therefore he goes and responds to God's call. But when we look at his faith journey, uh, it's, it's not perfect. It's riddled with faithlessness, cowardice, fear, and anxiety. He fails at, at numerous moments in his faith journey. One example is he sells out his wife uh, when he goes to Egypt because of a famine. Uh, he was fearful of his own life, and so he, he sells out his own wife, and Pharaoh takes her in, and instead of blessing uh, Pharaoh, which was his calling, he brings a curse upon Pharaoh's household. Uh, can you imagine that conversation going back to Canaan between Abram and Sarai? Um, various moments in his life, we see that his faith was quite defective. Uh, and today what we'll see is another lapse of faith in Abram's life. Uh, so if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 16. And I'll read verses 1 through 14 for us. Uh, Genesis 16, uh, verses 1 through 14. If you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it should be up on the PowerPoint for you guys to follow along. Let's give our full attention as I read God's holy word. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. 
The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, a servant of, uh, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hands, hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. This is God's word. Amen. Um, my wife and I, we have a son. He's uh, three years old. He's about to turn four. And uh, we started to uh, realize something that we couldn't tell Deacon, our son Deacon, what he can expect in the coming days. Like, for example, if, I, if we went to Deacon and told him, hey, on Friday, we're going to go over to your friend's house, like, we will never hear the end of it until Friday. Every single moment of the day, he'll come. He's like, friend's house? Friend's house? Because he has so much anticipation. He's so easily excitable that if we tell him we're going to do something a few days from now, Jane and I, we're just going to get so exhausted because he's going to be constantly nagging us when that day is going to come. Friend's house? Friend's house? Uncle's house? So we learned that we, we never tell him. <laughs> Anything that's going to happen throughout the week until that day. And so a couple of weeks ago, um, on Monday, we took him to see Santa. It's a pretty big moment for, for uh, a three-year-old. But we didn't tell him until that Monday. Because if we told him on Saturday, like Jane and I, we would get so annoyed of our son begging, begging us to take him when we actually told him it was Monday. Right? So we just tell him the day of. And, and that's our, our resolution. Uh, why does... Why doesn't God do this with Abraham and Sarai? Have you ever asked that question? Why does God promise to give them a child? And we read in our passage, how many years have passed? 10 years. 10 years have passed and still there's no child. And the, and the passage opens up with this tension. Sarah has not born a child yet. Why does God ha- make this promise when Abram was 75, now he's 85, and there's nothing to show of this promise. Why does God do this? Right? Because they've been waiting patiently. They've relocated their family. They've been as faithful as they can be to God, and yet nothing. She's without child. The frustration, the disappointment, you have to be able to imagine what that was like. How frustrating as the years went by where there's no results. Abram and Sarai, they're stuck in this, in in one of the most difficult places to be. That's in the time of promise given until promise fulfilled. They're stuck in that very middle place from the time where God makes this promise until the time of the promise fulfilled. And they're still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. That has to be one of the most difficult places to be. What in the world is God waiting for? Why the delay? For 10 years they've been waiting and still nothing. Brothers and sisters, friends, I want to ask us today, what do we do when our faith doesn't seem to get us anywhere? 
What do we do when our faith doesn't get us anywhere? Doesn't get us what, what we want. We're not seeing progress. Actually, we're taking steps back from where we want to be. What happens when our faithfulness doesn't get us what we want? What do we do? And many of us, we're in that place right now. Maybe you are in Abram and Sarai's situation. You're trying to get pregnant. You've seen a specialist. And, and, and for years and years, you're trying, but the only news you get is complication. It's complicated. We don't know what's wrong. Maybe you've been pr- uh, praying for a promotion at work, and you're just, you're just tired of your work, and you're working towards that promotion, but that promotion keeps passing you and hits another person. For others, it's, it's actually just frustration of being single. You thought you'd be dating or at least engaged by now at your age. And you're seeing all your friends being married and, and your parents are nagging you. And, you're, and you look to God and you're like, God, what's going on? Why isn't there anything for me? Maybe some of us are struggling financially, just paycheck to paycheck. Your, your, your parents are struggling in their business. And you're asking for relief. You're asking for, for, some, for God to do something, but yet it's just silent. For others, it might be academics. You're, you're trying to get into that major or that program or that grad program, or, or you're, you're taking the bar for the 10th time or, or the MCATs for the sixth time, and, and you're just not seeing the results that you want to see. Or for others, it's our health. It's just no good news. Maybe it's not your health. Maybe it's the health of someone that you love and the diagnosis is bad and you're praying and you're praying and you're hoping and hoping and still nothing's happening. What do we do when our faith doesn't get us anywhere? What do we do when God seems to be unresponsive, silent to our needs? This is where Sarah and Abraham find themselves. This is the exact place that they're in from the, from the promise given until the promise fulfilled. What do we do? We see exactly what Abram and Sarah do. And this is quite common in what we do when we're frustrated and when we're disappointed. And that is compromise. The first thing that we see in today's passage is compromise. What is a compromise? A compromise is taking an easier path for less than ideal outcome. Isn't that what a compromise is? And so we compromise all the time. Um, I'm a compromiser. I, I admit it. I'm a compromiser, especially when it comes to my shopping habits. And this is, this is Jane's biggest pet peeve of hers, of me. Um, I don't know why. For some reason, when I have to purchase something, uh, I don't like bra- buying something that's brand new. I don't know why. Uh, it's, just, it's just weird. And, and even when I was thinking about it, the logic doesn't work because I don't want to pay full price for a quality item. I'll rather pay... Less for a less quality item. That's me. I'm one of those. Probably a lot of your dads are like that. But I'm like that. So my, my website of choice for shopping is actually Craigslist. I, I go immediately to Craigslist to look for whatever I'm looking for. So a few years ago, Jane and I, we moved to a new place and, and we needed a fridge. And Jane's like, hey, you know, let's just dish out the money to get a nice quality fridge. I'm like, no, 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 Jane. I got this. Trust me. I'll find us a good deal. So I go on Craigslist, right, and, and I, I start shopping for fridges, and I find, I find a seller. And, and I go, and I look at the product, and it seemed to be working fine. Um, and what the problem with this whole thing is that I actually, actually had to ask my friend who had a truck, 
and ask two, three other people to come to get that, take it up to our second floor, right? And so we did, we did all that. And the fridge was working perfectly fine for two days. Two days. And then it just shut down. We didn't know what happened. And, and mind you, this was when Deacon, our son Deacon was a baby and Jane was providing food for Deacon. So we needed, to, we needed a fridge that worked to keep the milk cold or it will go, it will go bad, right? Some of you guys are confused, but you can ask other mothers what that, what that is like, right? So that fridge breaks down. I go back to the cellar. He gives me another fridge. I'm like, okay, this time it's going to be good. <laughs> Jane's like, don't do it. <laughs> Just buy a new fridge. I'm like, no, I got this. So we did, it a, we did the whole ordeal all over again. And two, three, two, three late, uh, days later, broke down again. Jane was pissed at me. <laughs> she wanted to like destroy me. And so finally, after, after the second fridge that broke down, I gave in. I'm like, Jane, you're right. Let's go get a brand new fridge. And it works perfectly fine. That's that, but that's what a compromise is. I was trying to cut corners to get a less than quality product. We compromise. And what we see Abram and Sarah doing is compromise. They're settling. They're trying to take an easier path and settling for a less than ideal outcome. But why, why did they do this? What's the reason for compromise? Why do we compromise in our lives? Why do we compromise our faith? Why do we compromise our conviction, our integrity? Why do we compromise? See, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, to have children meant you have heirs. You have someone to, to carry out, uh, to, to get the inheritance and, and to carry out the family's legacy. For a woman to have a child was a sense of identity, worth, significance. To not have a child in this culture meant that you were cursed that you were worthless, that something was wrong with you. Can you imagine Sarai being barren and God coming and saying, you're going to have a child? Can you imagine the hope? Can you imagine the the joy that she felt? No more shame. No more uh, people talking behind my back. This this promise is going to rescue me, at least socially. It's going to deliver me from my problems. But yet, 10 years later, still nothing. Still nothing. So what does she do? She compromises. But what did her compromise look like? She looked for the next viable, culturally acceptable alternative. That's what she did. She looked for the viable, culturally acceptable alternative, which was Hagar. So in this, in this culture, it was a custom. When the wife couldn't have children, they will get their slave to sleep with her husband and to, in some way, serve as a surrogate. It's a surrogate because even though the slave uh, um, has a child, that child actually didn't belong to the slave. It actually belonged to the first wife. Right? It's, it's a bit odd and a bit cruel. But you could see how this can po- possibly go wrong. Right? But this is what she did. She looked at Hagar. You sleep with Abraham. You're going to bear me a child. The easy path. Not ideal. But that was her plan. This was a compromise because what God promised Sarai is you're going to have a child. You're going to physically have a child. And that child is going to be a blessing to all nations. But she compromised. Why does she do this? 
Very simply, she forgot who she was. Very simply, she forgot who she was. She forgot that God chose her. She forgot God's promises to her. She forgot who she was, her identity in God. She forgot. Her identity was compromised before she compromised. Does that make sense? Listen carefully. Oftentimes our compromise comes from a crisis of identity. We forget who we are. We forget who God is. And we forget what God says of us, how he declares us, how he loves us, how he accepts us, what promises he has made to us. We forget and so we take matters into our own hands. Sarai was losing confidence in, his, in her God. And losing confidence in her God, she lose confidence in herself and her identity and her worth. And therefore, she compromises. And this is true for our compromise as well. Sarah forgot who she was. And so instead of placing her confidence in God, who did she place confidence in? in, in? Herself. She places her, her confidence in herself. I'm going to handle the situation. I'm taking matters into my own hands. I'm going to look for the next best blessing that's out there. So Sarai, she was willing to compromise God's promise to be a mother, even if that child wasn't hers. So we compromise because of identity crisis. But compromise also tells us what we hold most valuable, what we hold in, in, in the highest regard. It tells us what we worship. What's the center of our worship? What do we truly worship? Compromise tells us what that is. And for Sarai, what her worship, what she worshiped was being a mother. What she worshiped was having a child. Brothers and sisters, do we find ourselves in a place of compromise today? Are we tired of waiting on God? Are we just frustrated and disappointed again and again because we're not seeing our faith produce anything? You find yourself in good company because that's where Abraham and Sarah are. And another question I want to ask us is what, is, what is it that we're compromising for? What is that thing that we're looking towards, trying to grab, to get a grasp of, what is that thing? Because if we're able to identify what that thing is, then we know truly who we worship and what we worship. And if we're honest, it's not God. It's something else. What's at the center of our worship? What brings us our, our worth and our significance? See, many of us were willing to compromise God's truth and his wisdom to fulfill our own selfish pleasures. Some of us, we compromise the Sabbath day, the, the, the Sunday where the, the community of God's to come and worship. We compromise that because we want comfort and leisure. Some of us, we compromise our integrity and holiness for an opportunity. Maybe a career opportunity. Maybe it's a grade. And so we'll compromise our own holiness, when we know that's not the way that God wants us to approach it, we compromise because we want that thing. For others, we compromise our faith, our identity as a Christian so that we can be accepted by culture and not be rejected by others. Why are we compromising? What are we, what are we compromising for? The answer to those questions will tell us what that, what's at the center of our worship. 
And yet, this is a father of faith. I really want to encourage us today. We see over and over again in Abraham and Sarah's life, this lack of faith. Their faith wasn't perfect by any means. It was quite defective. But something that we know for sure is that that faith was being perfected by God. See, God isn't looking for people with perfect faith because that, that doesn't exist in this broken world. But what God is looking to do is to work in our lives to perfect our faith. See, there's a difference. That's God's commitment to us, that he's working on our behalf to perfect our faith, not so that we can try to do this on our own. So for Abram and Sarai, this was a test. And oftentimes tests are the way that, that God wants to perfect our faith. And that's why James tells us to count it all joy when we suffer. Count it all joy when we face all trials and tribulations and obstacles. Count it as joy because God is working in those tests and those trials to perfect our faith. That test for Abram and Sarah came in the form of a delayed promise, a delayed fulfillment. And they failed the test. Unfortunately, they failed the test. And so they compromised. And Hagar was their compromise. See, instead of peace and fulfillment, because we hear that Sarai was actually successful in her plans. Hagar got pregnant. But instead of peace and fulfillment, what do we see? What's the next thing that we see in this passage? The second thing is conflict. Compromise leads to conflict. And we see every single one involved in this ordeal experiencing conflict. What happens next? It's, it's only natural. Hagar, getting pregnant, now looks down upon Sarai. She looks at her with contempt. Where Sarai failed, Hagar succeeded. And yet she's a slave. So you can imagine how, how, how that filled her up with pride and looked on Sarai with contempt. And what happens after that? Right? What happens after that? And, and husbands, we, we know this. Right? We, we, we experience this on a daily basis. The wife blames the husband. Right? I could just imagine Jane. Right? If, I was, if, if Jane and I were in this situation, I could just imagine Jane's face with disgusting. Oh, look what you did. It's all your fault. So like in marriage, I just accepted that everything's my fault. <laughs> Oftentimes it is. But that's exactly what happens. This was Sarah's idea. Gave her Hagar. She got pregnant. Hagar looks at her with contempt. And what does Sarah, what does Sarah do? Looks to the husband. It's like, it's your fault. So absurd, right? So absurd. But this is what happens. Dysfunction, conflict. And what does Abram do in light of this? Instead of taking responsibility for Hagar, what, is it, what does he do? He hands Hagar off to Sarai, which is a bad move. A disgruntled wife, you do not want to give a responsibility to a disgruntled wife. But that's what, that's what Abram does. He's like, you deal with her. She's your slave. Conflict after conflict after conflict. It's, this is bad. This is bad. The language and the expressions used here, the author is trying to do something. The author is trying to take us back to a place, and actually the Garden of Eden. 
it's almost parallel to everything that happens with Adam and Eve, happens to Abram and Sarai. Eve compromises, takes the fruit and gives it to Adam. Sarai compromises, takes Hagar and gives to Abram. Adam accepts the fruit without any opposition or question. Abram accepts Hagar without questioning. Duh. Right? Duh. You give a man another woman to sleep with? That's obvious. Why would a, God, why would a guy oppose that? Right? We're, we're just so like, anyways. Right? Why would, why would he refuse? But yet we hear no opposition from, from Abram. No, nothing like, oh, you know what? Actually, God promised to us that we're going to have a child. Why would you give me Hagar? Nothing like that. Okay. You know? All right. Eve blames a serpent. Adam blames God. Sarah blames God for being barren and then shifts the blame, uh, shifts the blame to Abram. Adam failed to take responsibility for Eve's action. Where was Adam in the garden? He was right there. He didn't do anything. Abram fails to take responsibility for Hagar. Leads to further conflict. What the author is trying to tell us and, and for us to see is the pattern of sin. This is the pattern of sin. Constant dysfunction, conflict after conflict after conflict. Because sin, right, when we take matters into our own hands, when we try to live independently of God, it not only creates a wedge between our relationship with God, but it creates a wedge between one another. It creates distance and separation, not only with God, but with one another. James 4, verses 1 through 3, James tells us why conflict, conflict exists. What, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why are there conflicts in our lives? Why are you constantly arguing, bickering with your wife and your husband? Why are you constantly at conflict with your children, your coworkers, your manager, your boss? Maybe even some of us in this church. Why is there conflict within the church? Isn't it because of unfulfilled passions? That's what James is asking. Isn't it because we have these passions and these things that we're just vigorously pursuing and we just can't get it? And if someone gets in the way of that, of that pursuit, oh man, that person is like dead. Sarah got what she wanted. That's the crazy thing. She actually got what she wanted, but it failed to bring delight to her soul. What is the lesson to be learned here? What's the lesson to be learned here? This is what happens when we succeed in manufacturing our own blessings apart from God. This is what happens when we succeed in manufacturing blessings apart from God. Conflict. Why is there conflict? Because it, what it does in us, when we actually succeed in trying to live this life without God, and we're actually good at it, what it does is, what, is it, what does it produce? What, it, what did it produce in Hagar? Arrogance. Pride. You don't need God. Actually, you're better without God. Not only does it create that type of relationship with God, but again, arrogance 
and pride creates fractions in our relationships, doesn't it? That's what we're seeing happening. God forbid that we succeed in getting blessings on our own apart from the blessing that God wants to give us. God forbid that. Because many of us, we're succeeding in it. We're actually, we're good at it. And yet, we're not satisfied. Conflict. See, the conflict doesn't just stop here. This conflict will persist for generations to come. It's crazy what compromise can do. Some will even say that we're suffering the consequences of this very compromise till this day between Ishmael and Isaac, these two different nations at war with one another. See, Hagar's going to have a child, Ishmael. Ishmael, his generation and his, his children are going to be at war with Abram's children. 400 years of oppression. The role is going to be reversed where Sarah is oppressing Hagar. No, now Hagar is going to oppress Sarah and her generation. This is going to be a conflict that actually we're still experiencing till this day. And the climax of this conflict is what we see next. Hagar flees from Sarai and Abram's household. And now the narrative turns now to God and we see something so amazing happen. And the third thing that we see in this passage, and that is compassion. A very compassionate call of God. See, Hagar finds herself at a spring of water near Shur. Most likely she was going back home to Egypt. Um, most commentators believe. She's pregnant. She's chased out of her security. She's chased out of her well-being. Without protection in the wilderness. And what do we see God do? God calls to her. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. For the first and only time in scripture, we see an angel of God calling a woman by her name. Do you guys know that? An angel of God calls this woman by name, Hagar. What are you doing here? And so Hagar explains, What's astonishing about this is Hagar's a slave. She's, she, she's not the recipient of God's promise. God goes out of her way to tell her she's not abandoned. She hears her cries and she responds. And, she, and he, gives, uh, she, he gives her instruction. You're going to have a son, Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? God hears. God hears. This slave woman's cry. Compassion. Tremendous compassion. So God hears Hagar's cry and promises to bless her. Promises to protect her. That her child Ishmael, they're going to be a great nation. This slave woman. And after this amazing exchange, we see Hagar worshiping God. Verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Who looks after me. Guys, we worship a God who, who hears the cries of the oppressed. Who hears the cries of the afflicted. You guys believe that? 
over and over again in Scripture, we see that God shows his loving compassion to those that are less fortunate. Less fortunate. The lowly of society and culture. And so he hears her cries and he answers her cries and he blesses her. This is God's compassion. See, Jesus taught, blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. Brothers and sisters, friends, God knows you. God sees you and God hears you. He's not a distant God. He's not leaving us to ourselves. He knows everything that we're going through. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows where, where we've been. He knows your brokenness. He knows, he knows your sins. He knows your disappointments. He knows your frustrations. He knows your doubts. Even, even, even your doubts about him, he knows it all. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows the fears and anxieties that you're, you're, you're constantly wrestling with. He knows, he sees us, and if we cry, he hears us. Church, I want to encourage us. God knows what all nations is going through right now. God knows what, what our church is going through. He sees us. He knows us. And I pray that we can cry out so that he can hear us. Do you believe that? In the heart of hearts, do you believe that? Because what the author is trying to do is, is show us a, a stark contrast between Sarai, the chosen one, and Hagar, the slave. There's a juxtaposition that's happening here. Sarai, who's chosen, who God makes promises to her, what does she do in the midst of crisis? She takes matters into her own hands. I'm going to manufacture my own blessings. She doesn't cry out to God. She takes upon herself to bring the blessing into her own life. And then what do we see Hagar do? A slave, someone that has not received a promise, she finds herself in crisis and what does she do? She cries out to God, God help me. The faith of Hagar and the faithlessness of Sarai. Isn't this bizarre? Who are we? Which one are we? Are we Sarai or are we Hagar? Are we taking matters into our own hands or are we desperate for God to do something in our lives? Are we dependent on him? Are we crying out to him? I want to close and I want us to notice this very interesting instruction that God gives to Hagar. See, he doesn't promise her safe passage back to Egypt. You know what? You're actually going in the right direction. Let me get you into Egypt. Let me find you a husband who will take care of you and Ishmael. God doesn't make that. Guarantee. What does he tell her to do? Go back to Sarai. Wait, wait, you want me to go back to the oppressor? You want, to go, you want me to go back into that, that, that situation, that circumstance? Why would God do this? Right, in verse, verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and what? Submit to her. Man, is God just cruel? Does he just like watching Hagar squirm and, and be, being mistreated? Why does God do this? I want us to listen very carefully because I think there's, there's some, sometimes we miss this and, and we hear the wrong message. God's act of compassion in Hagar's life doesn't mean that she's going to have a life of ease and comfort. God's grace in our life 
God's grace in our life does not mean no more pain, no more suffering, ease and comfort. God does not make such a guarantee. But sometimes we hear in church and we, see, we sometimes see it on, on, tele, uh, in, on television with the televangelist. If you believe in God, if you trust in God, and if you give $1,000, God will solve all your problems. The problem with that message is there's nowhere in the Bible that can support that claim. It's actually quite the opposite. If you follow me, guaranteed persecution, guaranteed opposition, Guaranteed, you'll face storms upon storms upon storms. God's grace doesn't remove suffering and hardship, but God's grace, what it does, it sustains us in the midst of suffering and hardships. We have to know that distinction. Do you believe that? That God's grace sustains us in the times of hardships and suffering. See, what God is wanting to do in Hagar's life and in our, in, our, in our lives is to grow our trust and faith in him and not in our circumstances. God wants to build up our faith and our trust in him so that we don't grow in our faith and trust in temporary circumstances. That is why God sends Hagar back. So that Hagar will trust in God and not the circumstances. Because Sarah was trusting in the circumstances of Hagar's child. And what it did was just brought about disappointment and frustration. Brothers and sisters, is our hope in the content of the promise? Is our hope and our confidence in the content of the promise or in the character of the promise maker? Which one is it? Are, are, are we hoping for the blessings or are we hoping in the one that blesses us? You know what will quickly answer that question? What happens when you don't get what you want? What happens when you're waiting and waiting and waiting and your faith hasn't gotten you anywhere? The answer to those questions will tell us which one we're looking for, which one we're basing our confidence and our hope in. Is it the content of the promise or is it in the character of the promise maker? Who is God? See, if we're chasing after blessings and placing our hope in those things, we'll be disappointed. We'll exhaust ourselves and we'll be dissatisfied. See, what the gospel, gospel message promises us is not blessings. The gospel isn't, if you believe, you'll get blessed. No, the gospel message is, if you believe, you get God. You get God. You get Him. Not the things that he can offer. You get God. I hope, I hope and pray that our pursuit will be him and not in the blessings. See, eventually we know that Sarah gets, she gets pregnant. If we read on, we know that she's going to have Isaac. And God's promise is fulfilled. So this time of delay is temporary. And as much as I want to say to, you, to all of us here that that's going to be true for you, I can't. I can't promise you that the thing that you're waiting for, the thing that you're hoping for, that you're going to get. That was the case for Abram and Sarai, but I can't say that's the case for us. Because life tells us differently. I, I have countless friends 
who are suffering and who have suffered. Pastor friends who their young daughter got cancer. They're praying for a miracle. They're asking God for a miracle and that miracle never comes. I have friends who are looking for opportunities and that opportunity never comes. Over and over again, I see these situations. And over and over again in scripture, the results that Abram and Sarah received, what they experienced is not, it's, it's an exception to the rule. We see people suffering, not seeing relief or comfort, at least in this side of heaven, there's no guarantee. But I want to say it, but I can't because that's not true. That thing that we're waiting for, we, we will wait for maybe until we die. And that's just the fact of living in this broken world. And we may never see that blessing that we're hoping for on this side of heaven. But that, that doesn't mean that we stop praying. That doesn't mean, uh, that doesn't mean that, that we, we stop asking and, and crying out to God. God wants us to cry out to him. God wants us to, to pray and ask him, ask him of these things. But more than that, he wants us to trust in him, that he knows, that he sees, he hears. And there's a reason why he's not giving us that thing. That's what he wants. He wants us to trust in him. Brothers and sisters, the only guarantee that we have is a cross. The only guarantee that we have is the cross, what Jesus Christ has done. It is in him that we can find true rest, true comfort, true fulfillment. But there is a promise that we can cling on to. Just as how God made a promise to Abraham and Sarai, he has a promise he made to us. That promise is he's coming back again. He's going to reign. There's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow. In the new heavens and new earth, there will be no such thing as disappointment or frustration. God wants us to cling to that promise. God wants us to hold on to that sure thing. And I hope that we can. See, where Abraham and Sarai failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus was uncompromising, unwavering on his journey to the cross. At any moment, he could have compromised. He had the ability to. He had the ability. He can call a legion of angels to come and destroy all his enemies. But what does he do? He takes the nails, crown of thorns, spear in his side. He didn't avoid conflict. He involved himself in a conflict that wasn't his. He got right involved, he, right there involved in our conflict that we created. And he demonstrated the fullness of God's compassion by dying on that cross for our sins in our place so that we can get God, that we can have assurance, we can have security in who we are in Christ Jesus. It is because of Christ that we can have hope. And it's Christ that promised that he'll return. And therefore, we can endure we can persevere when God seems silent. We can wait a few more years. We can wait forever until he returns because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Let's hold firm to that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that we have a sure hope. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are God that promises and that you hold true to your promise. God, you sent your son, Jesus, on that cross to fulfill your promise, to bless all nations through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here who are frustrated, disappointed, who are tired of, uh, of waiting on that blessing that they're hoping in. God, I pray, Lord, that you will increase our faith in you, build up our hope and our trust in you. Show yourself once again to us. Help us to look up to the cross to see how good you make on your, your promises. And Lord, in our present suffering and pain and trials and hardships, give us your Holy Spirit so that we can persevere, we can endure. Even until our last breath and even until you return. God, we give you all the praise, glory, and honor for being such a good God. Build our hope and confidence in you. Help us in this, Lord, we pray. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.